Okay, you know what Solomon said, which I think is really quite interesting, especially since he ignored a lot of his advice later in life. A good name is to be what? More desired than what? Than great wealth, than silver and gold. It's better than the favor of silver and gold. So what's in a name? Tonight we come to the third of the commandments. And you see the title, God is not a what? Four-letter word. In fact, that's not accurate. In Hebrew, God is a four-letter word. Okay. Okay. We good? Excellent. Now let me see if I can see my notes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know, of course... Uh, we have the tetragrammaton. D did I say that right, Joe? Okay. Uh, J, what is it? J, four letters. H, yeah, well, you're doing Hebrew. Goodness, Shannon. <laughs> J, H, W, H. Jehovah, and we get the vowel sounds from the uh, name Adonai. So that's how the Jews then... Uh, learned how to pronounce the name Jehovah, but they don't do it, do they, nowadays? They don't actually pronounce it. So what is uh, a, what is in a name? Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanate. That is a huge name. And yet her stage name is very, very short. Guess who it is? I bet you know, Paul. Lady Gaga. Very good. Excellent. Okay. All right, now this is intergenerational, okay? My generation doesn't know much about the lady, but my, my generation knows about Marion Robert Morrison. Marion, that's a girl's name. John Wayne, hey, you're pretty good tonight. That's right. Here's one for you. I'll give you a hint. He is a British rock star. Reginald Dwight. Elton John. Man, we're, we're cooking tonight, okay? Ah, Here's another. He was a member of the Fab Four. Uh, that, that narrows it down, doesn't it? Okay. And some of you don't know who the Fab Four were. Okay. Richard Starkey. R.S. Ringo Starr. Okay. He's a little shorter than I am, but he's the heartthrob of a whole generation of uh, young female viewers. Thomas Mopather the Fourth. Tom Cruise. Okay, you're batting a thousand. Here's one. This one really blew me away. Calvin Broadus Jr. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah. You want to come and do this? <laughs> yeah. You could tell who is socially aware. Yeah, culturally aware. I did not know that this uh, fellow was Irish, but he's got an Irish name. Declan Patrick McManus. He's the other Elvis. Elvis Costello. Okay, the short name for Margaret might be Maggie, right? Maggie? Yeah. Margaret Hira, but it's not Maggie. What's another name for Margaret? Meg. Meg Ryan. We're almost finished. Eric Marlin Bishop. Probably most of you don't know that. It's kind of obscure, but he's a recently popular actor. Jamie, 
Fox. Karen, this one blew me away, Karen Elaine Johnson. That's so stately and so formal and so traditional. Karen Elaine Johnson. Whoopi Goldberg, that's it. And then out of your generation, for most of you, Archibald, Archibald Alexander Leach. Cary Grant, Cary Grant. And some of you are still saying who? <laughs> Maurice Joseph Micklewhite, Jr. He's my favorite male actor. He's 88 years old now. Another generation. Michael Caine. So, you know, what's in a name? I think it's interesting. Lady Gaga took a, a name longer than anybody has and reduced it down to, to two syllables. But, you know, the same thing in the Bible. Names have a meaning, don't they? And they're changed. So Abram meant what? Mighty father or exalted father? And God changed his name in Exodus, I mean in Genesis, the 15th chapter to what? Abraham, so that he would not only be exalted father, he would be what? He would be father of a multitude or father of many nations. Jacob, that's my name in Hebrew. James, Jacob, Yaakov. It means stealer, supplanter, replacer. That's not a very positive sort of name. We know why too, don't we? Yeah. And of course, God changed his name in the desert to, well, not in the desert, but yeah, to Israel. What does that mean? One who struggles with God, and in fact, it's uh, God's people. This one wasn't done by God directly, but Moses, I mentioned it this morning. Moses changed his name from Hoshea, or Hoshea, which means salvation, to what? Joshua, which means God is, or the Lord is salvation. Simon. You are Simon, but I will call you what? Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which means the rock, and there's an obvious reason for that. James and John, Jesus called, gave them the surname Boagernes, sons of thunder, and of course it is they who want to bring down fire from heaven on Samaria, you know. And Saul means prayed for, and he was, I think this is really interesting, God brought him down to size. He, named, he changed his name to what? Paul, which means what? Small. Yeah. You know, there were some other biblical changes which were not positive, uh, and it's interesting to me the way we use them. Daniel, God is my judge, and then the servant in the household of Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Belteshazzar, which is, in fact, a pagan name. That is, Bel, the god Bel. Okay, now everybody can hear me. Where'd I put my glasses? 
So Daniel is named Belteshazzar and, of course, goes from a Jewish name, a godly name, to a what? A pagan name. Hananiah, I've asked this question before, and a lot of times folks don't know because I don't remember until I look at it in Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their original names, weren't they? They were godly names. And the household servant at Nebuchadnezzar's court named them then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which mean, means um, the command of the moon god, who is Aku, and the servant of Nebo, the god of wisdom. It's really interesting, isn't it, that we now call them by their what? By their pagan names, yeah. But you know, that's probably because of popular culture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the song. So tonight, what is in a name? Exodus 27, we come to the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not leave unpunished he who takes his name in vain. It's pretty short. Uh, it is it's not a good rule of thumb in preaching to uh, assume that the shorter the text, the shorter the sermon. Okay? We can get a lot out of that. Parallel text, Deuteronomy 5.11. Last week, uh, when Paul preached, he preached from Deuteronomy text, which was explaining the Deuteronomic code. Tonight, I'm going to be looking at Exodus instead. They'd say the same thing. There is another similar text in Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Uh, it's talking about using the name of God improperly. And so what, it's interesting what it does. Leviticus 12, then Leviticus 19, verse 12, actually merges the third commandment with the ninth commandment. It says, you shall not swear falsely. In other words, you don't lie by his name. If you do, you do what? You profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so it's a very similar commandment. It's interesting. It brings two of them together. Literally, what does it mean? You shall not take. It's a continuous verb, which you, you should not keep on taking. And that's very important. Uh, it's a continuous action. It means to lift up or to carry or to bear. So as you go along, you carry this name with you. You shall not continue to carry it along and damage the reputation of it. The name means reputation. It's like a person's marker. It's sort of like a memorial. It's not a gravestone, but on gravestones, what do we do to represent who's there? We engrave the name. So it's as you carry this marker of God along continuously, that is the Lord your God, Jehovah, Elohim, that is the covenant God of Israel, and then Elohim, the creator, almighty, supernatural God. You shall not do so, what? In an empty sort of fashion, vain. It also can mean, in a false way, to lie, to misrepresent this name that we carry. If you do, you will not be left unpunished. And once again, that is a continuous verb. So if we continue to do this, continue to misrepresent the name of Jehovah Elohim. If we keep on doing it, then God has told us that he will keep on not acquitting us. He will not find us guilty. And it's not just a punctiliar action. He will continue not acquitting us. He will continue to consider us punishable until we do what? Until we repent and ask for forgiveness. You know, the Old Testament quite literal uh, in Leviticus 24, 16. 
it says the punishment for doing this to the name, the Shem, the punishment is what? Death. Very clear. Uh, it was tantamount to treason. It was like violating, almost like violating the civil code of Israel. Well, we know this, that at this time there was no division between civil and they were a community together in covenant with God. It's a violation of the covenant. It's considered not only disrespect God, but also the whole community. And there are examples of this in the Old Testament. Um, in Leviticus 24, just before this passage that I quoted, there was an Israelite woman by the name of Shilameth. She was from the tribe of Dan. She had a son. He was a half Egyptian, half Jewish. And he got into a conflict, a fight, with another Israelite. And in the middle of that conflict, he explicitly and verbally and right up front in the middle of the community blasphemed God. So what were they to do? They brought him before Moses, and then they brought him before God. God told them the punishment for this blasphemy was death. They took him outside the camp. They stoned him. Very clear. They took it very, very literally. There's another good example in the reign of Ahab. This morning I talked about during the time of Elijah and when Ahab was king about the anonymous prophet, remember? Well, there's another story that you might remember about who was Ahab's wife. Jezebel. And Ahab wanted the vineyard of Naboth, and he couldn't get it. Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. He wouldn't give it to him. And so uh, Ahab then conspired to get it. Jezebel helped him. And what did she do? She wrote letters to the elders of the village where Naboth lived as the queen. She said, what, this is what you will do. You will get two witnesses and you will bring him before all the people. And these witnesses will claim that he has cursed God, blasphemed his name, which they did. False witness. So they violated the other command that I read a moment ago. And what happened? They stoned him to death and Ahab got the vineyard, but of course Ahab and Jezebel both met bloody death. So they took it very seriously in the Old Testament. Today, Jews, most Jews, traditionally, well, through the Middle Ages and then today, and most Jews will not pronounce the name Jehovah. And even when they write the name God, it's G T. They won't pronounce Jehovah. They will speak about Hashem, which means the name. So in Leviticus 24, it says, The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the Shem, that is the name, he shall be put to death. So they will speak about Hashem, or perhaps they will speak about the indescribable name, Shem Hamaphorish, or they might use the term Adonai, but they typically, the Orthodox Jew does not pronounce the name. So how would we interpret this, this command after we look at it exegetically, etymologically? I, I would say it goes something like this. You shall not practice, you shall not continue to misrepresent the reputation of the Lord, Jehovah, who created you, that is Elohim. If you continually do so without repenting, that is but that I add there, because we're looking at New Testament. God will not acquit you, and you will what? Die. Michael Meany, in light of the New Testament, I think 
is this. Uh, are we sentenced to death if a person uses the name of the Lord in vain once, twice, or even a few times? Well, no. Uh, that's not unpardonable. Everybody sins, of course. Hopefully believers, followers, don't do it. But we're not condemned to death today, and we're not taken outside the camp, and we're not stoned for cursing God. Uh, the Lord has promised that he will forgive our sin, and it is a sin. But the habitual, unrepentant action of abusing the name of God and misrepresenting him for who he is will lead to God's continual refusal to acquit us. So you know where I'm going with this. What's the final result? If a person has that kind of attitude toward God and they are in a continually or continuous blasphemous relationship against God himself, Jesus addressed this in the New Testament, didn't he? What does this lead to? It in itself is not the unpardonable sin, but I think it is a part of an attitude that leads to the unpardonable sin. That is blaspheming of God and blaspheming his what? His Holy Spirit. So, you know, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, all the sins of uh, the sons of men will be forgiven. Uh, sins, blasphemies of all kind, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Okay, but then what does he say? Because he's guilty of an eternal sin. His point is, it's an eternal sin, not just because of the results, but it's an eternal sin because the person never does what? Never repents, and they continue. In other words, it is a symbol of their rejection of God. So this, this commandment, like the first two, had to do with the person of God and violating his very person. And if a person continues to do those three, any one of those three continually, it indicates that, in fact, they're grieving the Holy Spirit. So why is this such a serious matter? Well, it's an attack, isn't it? It's an attack on God. It's an attack on the person of God himself. Think about the name, the Tetragrammaton. Uh, Moses is standing on Mount Sinai, and God comes to him, and he, Moses says, well, who shall I say sends me to, to the Pharaoh? And he says, I am that I am. And that is what Jehovah means. So once again, this is the identity, the personal identity. It's the most personal identity of the Lord God Almighty. It's the self-identifying self description of the self-existent eternal beingness of God. You don't get any closer to the beingness of God than his name, Jehovah. Now it's interesting. Most Eastern religions have no punishment for blasphemy. Hinduism, Buddhism, they don't have a punishment for blasphemy. Why is that? Why do you think? Some would say they're not religions. I, I think they are religions, but they're strongly, strongly driven by what? Philosophy. They're really worldviews that are philosophic worldviews. And they're based mainly on a pantheistic worldview. And in pantheism, there is not supreme being that is above all. So there is not a supreme being above all that is supernatural, who has a name that is over all, that is to be violated. See, see, this is pretty distinctive. This comes out of a theistic tradition. What are the three theistic religions? Major religions. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And they all have commands against, of course, Christians and Jews take it out of the scripture and, and uh, Muslims take it out of the Quran against blasphemy. So it's, a, it's an attack on the person of God himself. But it's also an attack on his sovereignty. 
Where do I get that? Well, he is the Lord, and that suggests that he's sovereign, but also it's the Lord God. And the word that is used there is Elohim. And this is the God that is above all perceived gods. There is no God as great as he. He is the creator God, the sovereign God. He is the supernatural God that is over everything that has been made, and there's nothing that has been made without him. And once again, Eastern religions don't have that concept of supernatural being who is God. It is only Christianity, Judaism, and Islam that conceive of God as being supernatural and would have then this command not to take his name in vain. It's also an attack on aspects of his divine nature. Uh, how many aspects of God's divine nature are there? How many qualities of divinity are there? The multitudes. But just to pick a few out, first of all, it's an attack on his integrity. Because his name says who he really is. He is the I am who is the I am. When you hear that word, what you hear is what you get. And that's integrity. We, we speak about what you see is what you get. The way you behave on the outside is who you are on the inside. Well, this is an audible indicator. He is who we hear him being. He is the one who is the who is. It's an attack, on, an attack on his integrity. It's an attack on his character. You see, his name represents his character and his consistent, consistency from before the foundation of the world until after it, the cosmos is destroyed. His character is consistent. And the Lord and his mercy endure for what? Forever. So it's an attack on his consistency, his character. It's an attack on his reputation. This is the name that he goes by. It's how we perceive him. It's how others perceive him. And when his name is misused, it's just like if somebody takes your name in vain. Except when we say that your name is taken in vain and you take them to court, we don't call it blasphemy. We call it what? Slander. That's what it is. It's slandering God's reputation. It also is an attack on his reliability. His name is used to confirm to us that we can trust. He has put his name to the Old Testament and the New Testament, the testaments, the covenants, the promises, and it's attached to the Lord God Almighty. And so when we attack his name, we attack his reliability. When you then sign a contract, you sign your what? Your name. And you say, I will pay that bill. I will pay that mortgage or that car payment or whatever. Whatever kind of agreement, if it's a peace treaty, we sign our names to them. The founders of this nation signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And when they did that, they said, we are guarantors of this document that we have signed, and we will keep our promise. When a soldier or a sailor or an airman signs up, they contractually, they make a pledge, and they insert in that pledge their name, I and then blank, I, James T. Spivey, Jr., do solemnly swear that I will what? And defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So the name is a pledge, and God has signed his name to the two covenants, the two promises, the old and the new covenant. So when his name is attacked, it's the promise of God that is attacked. It's an attack on his legacy. We call ourselves Christians. A lot of people call themselves Christians, and they're not. 
Sometimes, you know, you've heard Brother Clyde, you've heard me say it, I, I, I like the term Christ follower. It's a, it's a little more specific. But, but you know what we mean when we say we're Christians. We go by the name of Christ. We're followers of God. Well, there's a legacy there. You know the old expression, God doesn't have grandchildren. But when our children come to know Christ, then they take on that name too, and then they pass on then the heritage of the family. And they train up their children, as Deuteronomy tells us, according to the Shema. So there's a legacy there. When God's name is attacked, the legacy, the family name is being attacked. And his power and agency is being attacked. His name is powerful. There is power in God's name. There is power in the name of Jesus. Now, it's not just something that we can invoke, and just because we invoke the name of Jesus or the name of God, that whatever we want to happen will happen. But we do know this. It is significant in our prayers. We are told to pray in Jesus' name, right? And he listens. And, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. Miracles are performed in the name of the Son of God. So when his name is impugned, it is actually an attack on his very power and agency. So it's an attack on him personally, it's an attack on his sovereignty, and it's an attack on his character. And I think there are different degrees. There are different types of uh, violation of this command. The most obvious is blasphemy. The Hebrew word, niatza, actually means contempt. You shall not blaspheme means not to attempt for or despise. We said a moment ago, this is equivalent to slander, speaking evil of. This form of taking the name of the Lord in vain is a direct attack on God usually. Exposing God to ridicule. Directly impugning him. And it's not just atheists and agnostics that do that. As a matter of fact, some atheists and agnostics don't do that. You know, um, it's a direct attack on God. It's usually out of anger or disrespect for God, but it's a direct attack on him. Sometimes it's, it's simply ignorance, I think, as to who God really is. But there are other forms of taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. There is the vulgar approach. One is blasphemy. The other is vulgar. It's, it's drawn from the Latin word vulgaris. What does that mean? What do you think of as vulgar? Usually you think about cussing, maybe. Uh, crude, coarse, gutter language, common cursing, taking God's name and attaching it to some context or some phrase or the, the word itself as a curse word. That's why I said, even though the tetragrammaton is a four-letter word in Hebrew, you know what I'm saying. God is not a curse word. And we hear people doing it all the time. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to pronounce it here. But sometimes it's just God, okay? It's the way people use it. Or Jesus with a wrong emphasis on it, you know? This is just crudeness. It's usually done to, make it, to, to emphasize a point or to get somebody's attention. You know, oh, I want to speak powerfully. But you know, you've heard this from your parents, probably. It's usually a sign of what? It's usually a sign of ignorance. It's usually a sign that a person, person is unable, uh, unable 
adequately to articulate what they're thinking with power and persuasiveness. It's a lazy way of trying to make a strong point. It's a vulgar way of taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. There's also then obscenity. So you got blasphemy and you got vulgarity, but what is obscenity? It's drawn from the Latin word obscensus. It means just to be, frankly, offensive and just indecent, subversive, shock radio. You know what I'm talking about? People who get on TV or radio and they say the most, if you will, obscene things to get people's attention. It's sensationalism. And, and you know what happens with this? It's a kind of desensitizing. We get so used to hearing it. These people, some of them are actually intending to do this. I don't think most of them are. But it's almost as if they want to normalize this as regular behavior. You know what I'm talking about? So it's sort of the frog in the kettle kind of blasphemy. You know, it's gradual in society. Can you imagine? We were watching Andy Griffith the other evening. And, and I know people make fun of the shows like Father Knows Best and Andy Griffith and all of that, you know. But could you imagine in Andy Griffith's time the kind of language that we hear just commonplace on the radio and the TV? That is obscene. And then this is the one that really kind of bugs me. They all bug me, but, and that is vain speaking. And that's the word that is used here in the Hebrew, shav, empty. It, it actually is not just vain. It can also indicate falsehood. It can indicate saying something that is not entirely true. Um, the Latin word means void, worthless, unprofitable, meaningless. Here it is, folks, OMG. You know what I'm saying? And God becomes a three-letter word. And that just frankly disgusts me. You know, you watch almost any sitcom on TV, you know, with younger people in it. And I'm not attacking younger people, but it does seem to be a sort of generational thing for the last couple of generations. OMG, you know. And it's almost used as a punctuation. It, it betrays immaturity. It trivializes the most important thing and makes it insignificant and worthless and unprofitable. It's just a kind of a dismissive attitude about God. That's just as bad as blasphemy. They don't take God seriously. But I do think that there are different levels. A lot of folks today do not know that they're committing blasphemy and taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. So, uh, you know, another way of looking at this is how would you make this into a positive command? Yeah. Now, I'm going to go through these very quickly and quiz you. How would you make the first command positive, okay? Have no other gods before me. What would you say? You, you will be my only God, or you will be the only God of worship, yeah. How, how about uh, idolatry? Make no graven images. That's negative. What was, a, what was a point that Paul made last week? Nothing comes between us and God. There's no image between us and God. One way of saying it is, I come before everything else. He comes before everything else. Let's skip number three. I want you to think about this. I want you to tell me what number three ought to be. What about next week? I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, okay? It's positive already, isn't it? Yeah, we will honor the Sabbath. What's another way of saying honor? Respect, revere, venerate. We're to honor our parents. That's positive. Hold them in esteem. You will not commit murder. 
you will do what? You will value life. You will respect and nurture life. Hmm. Not commit adultery. You will do what? You will be faithful to your mate. Uh, don't steal. What's the opposite of stealing? Giving? Well, I guess so. Yeah. But that really has more to do with the last commandment. Yeah. You will respect other people's property. You, you will protect. In fact, you might even go to the point of protecting another person's, and not just property, but what person? Rights. Exactly. Uh, don't lie. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. What's that? Tell the truth. Speak and what, folks? Not only speak, but act the truth as well. And then last, this, this is a difficult one. Don't covet. The opposite of coveting. What? Hey, that's good. I didn't think about it. Yeah, be content with what you have. Yeah. That's the introspective part. The extrospective, is that a word? The, the, the outside way of doing it? I would say is to your neighbor then do what? Be generous. Sort of like this morning, you know, Moses was very generous to Eldad and Medad. So commandment number three, how would you say thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Honor what? The Lord Honor the what? The Lord. Honor the what? The name. The name. The name. The name. Honor the name. And, and you honor the Lord, yeah. Honor the name. Esteem the name. Venerate the name. Well, why should we venerate God's name then? I did that kind of circular thing down to come to make this point. I've got 14 points. No, I don't have that many. <laughs> but to kind of summarize, I would say this. We venerate God's name because of praise. Okay? Why? Because he is supernatural. And his name reflects that supernaturality. He's over all created order. O Lord, our Lord, how what? Majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. It's the name which represents the person. It's not just the name. Remember, it represents who he is. Psalm 148, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is to be exalted. His majesty is above the heavens. So we do it to praise him because his name is exalted, as Noah said in our previous time of worship. We do it because of love. Whose love? Well, we might say our love, but we love because what? He first loved us. Psalm 138. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name, O Lord. Is loving God and his name represents love. We venerate him because of our allegiance. He is sovereign Lord. Okay. And of course, that is the way that Jehovah is translated most of the time in the Old Testament. Is Lord. Isaiah 45, 23. By myself, he says, I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. It's to the name of the Lord, allegiance. Because of his holiness, Psalm 111. He has sent redemption to his people. Psalm 111, 9. He has ordained his covenant forever forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Holiness of God is represented by his name. For his protection. Psalm 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name 
is a place in which we can take refuge. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And I've quoted this many times as a soldier. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we, Psalm 20, verse 7, shall boast in what? Not just the Lord, but in the name of the Lord our God. We should venerate him because of his attention. He pays attention to us when we pray. Second Chronicles 7, you know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and if they will seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. His name invokes his attention. We venerate him out of self-respect. What? Huh. Elohim, he is what? Creator God. He has created us and we're created in the Imago Dei. And if we're created in his image, whenever we slander him, we slander the image that we bear. It's almost like suicide of our own reputation. We actually insult and denigrate ourselves when we slander God. We venerate him because of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? For, our, for Christ's coming. And I know that they didn't understand what they were saying when he did it, when he came through the portal there at Jerusalem in his last days. But they called out, what? It, what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. No, blessed is he who comes in the what? The name of the Lord. He has come, and we celebrate that. We celebrate and we give thanksgiving for salvation. We know this in at least three texts, Acts 2, Joel 2, and Romans 10. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. And we give thanks for the results of salvation. Acts 22, we're baptized in his name and we're forgiven in his name. We give thanks for the results of salvation, 1 Corinthians 6. We are justified in his name and we're sanctified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of God. We have much for which to be thankful. So, come down to today and you take the Old Testament text and we understand, of course, that Jehovah God Almighty, who is representative of our Father, sent his only begotten Son, who died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, and then was glorified, and he has elevated him, and he has given him a what? A name that is above all names. And someday what? Every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we don't often go around talking about Jehovah. It's a per perfectly appropriate for us to do so. As Christ followers, we really honor him by bearing the name of his son with veneration. We do not take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain either. He doesn't become a punctuation mark. He doesn't become an exclamatory kind of curse. Take the name of Jesus. What? With you. Child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then wherever you go. Precious name. Oh, how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Take the name of Jesus ever as what? Protection everywhere. If temptations around you gather, breathe the holy name in prayer. At the name of Jesus bowing, when in heaven we shall meet, King of kings will gladly crown him when our journey is complete. Take the name of Jesus 
wherever you go. And if we do that and we lift up and magnify the name of the Son of God, we then have fulfilled the third commandment as fully as we can. Thank you.